Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. So we are in uh, the midst of our series on the inward journey. Uh, This year, the whole year, we're talking about spiritual growth. And we are using the the picture of three different journeys to to, uh, dive into the different aspects of spiritual growth. And starting next month, we're already there, part two of the series, The Upward Journey, which is all about getting to know Jesus. Uh, And then the the last four months of the year, we'll be talking about the outward journey, is how uh, through the process of the inward journey and the upward journey, we are launched out to bring the kingdom, to be ministers of reconciliation into this world. So that's uh, where we're going for the year, but we're wrapping up the inward journey here this month. And a big part of the inward journey, as we've said, is is uh, discovering our identity. Who are we? Right? And we've talked a lot about that. But another important piece of the inward journey is when we discover our identity, when we discover discover whose we are, it, we have to ask the question, we have to answer the question, what is my purpose? What am I here for? How do I fit into the community? How do I fit into the community of God? How do I fit into this world? What was I created for? And as a pastor for a few years, one of the top three or four things that people come to talk to me about is this question of what was I created for? What am I supposed to do with my life? Right? And many people will come with this fear and like, oh man, I, maybe I've missed it. I feel like maybe God told me to go to Central Michigan and I went to U of M. What if I missed God's purpose for my life? And I'm just like, you can settle down there, little guy. It's going to be okay. I don't think God's purpose for your life is that narrow. It's going to be okay. But, you know, and so I encourage them that their heart is yearning for God. And as they run after God, he can steer them towards their purpose. And so we're not going to talk about what your individual role is today. We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. We all have different strengths. We have amazing things to bring to the church body, to the kingdom of God, and to our community and to our world. But we do have an overarching purpose, right? We do have a purpose that as Christ followers, we can hold on to. And the reality is that we, as Christ followers, get to uh, be part of God's redemptive actions in the world, right? We get to be part of what God is doing in the world. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and he says that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, right? But he is now, God has now given us, you and I, the church, uh, the ministry of reconciliation, we have now been, we are now the sent ones, right? In John something, Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father sent me, now I send you, right? We are now the ones that are sent into the world to bring restoration, to bring reconciliation, to help people step into a right relationship with Jesus Christ so they can spend eternity with the Father. Right? And this is our purpose. This is what we're going to look at today. This is not like, oh no, now I have to work hard to make God happy, to earn God's love. Right? Don't, it is not that at all. What we're talking about is this awesome opportunity to realize that we are an integral and important part of what God is doing. 
right? God, in his manifest wisdom, has chosen the church to fulfill his purposes. I've been part of the church for a long time. I've met a lot of church people. And sometimes I think, maybe, God, you could have, you could have picked somebody better to do this. Right? We're, we're not doing that well. No, we're great. We're great. We're empowered. Right? But God, in his wisdom, has chosen to use the church, you and I, to fulfill his purposes. And the truth is, what I want to get at today is that we cannot be just bystanders, right? We can't be just audience members, you know, watching what God is doing in the world, or even just watching kind of the Christian superstars in the world do the things that God is doing, right? But each one of us individually and us as a community of believers here in Cass County are part of God's mission. We are on the front lines, right? And we cannot be bench warmers in the kingdom of God. But too often, people can just pay lip service, right, to believing in Jesus. But we see that there's no sign of them stepping into it. There's no sign of them, their, their faith being expressed through love. We see no sign of, the, of life transformation, right? We see no sign of them laying their lives down to serve people, to, to bring the kingdom of God into a hurting and broken world. And I think that part of the, the problem, such a, is it a quiet audience or is it a harsh topic, it's, or both? Uh, um, so, so I think part of the problem is that we are children of the Reformation. And I'm big, I love the Reformation, I'm really grateful for, for Martin Luther and, and all the, the truths that came out of that, right? So the Reformation was this important event about 500 years ago in church history where Martin Luther kind of broke with um, the, the Catholic Church. And one of the things that he spoke about and he said that we have to stand firm on is that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Right? There's nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven. The gap between us and God was, is far too wide for us to be able to cross on our own. There's no amount of works, there's no amount of effort that we can do to be reconciled on our own. We need uh, the, the sacrifice, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which paid the penalty for our sins, so that we can be made right with God and that we can enter into eternal life. And that is absolutely true. Absolutely true. Being saved by grace alone is true, but we cannot allow that to um, draw us into a passive faith. Right? Too often, right, we can just say, I'm saved, and just go, now I'm just gonna go about life as usual. We do not get to do that. The Apostle James says in chapter two of his of his uh, epistle, starting in verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters? If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. It's pretty harsh, James. It's pretty harsh. Right? Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And so a passive faith is this kind of just mental assent to the reality of Jesus. Right? It's, a, it's a faith which there's no change, there's no heart transformation, there's no motivation to do and to follow Jesus like he called us to follow him. 
right? And this is a dangerous place to be because according to James, faith without works is dead, right? And remember, I already said that this is not works to get us into the kingdom, right? This is our response to the grace of God in our lives. Our conversion was really the entrance into this act of faith through which we step into our purpose, bringing glory to God and extending His kingdom. And so what we're going to see is that an encounter with God demands a response. I don't know how many of you guys have played pool. Pool's a pretty popular thing, right? Amber and I got a pool table. We lived at a little house on Sprinkle Road and didn't have a lot of things. But it did have a glorious pool table. It was the best. And I don't remember, somebody we knew was, was selling it, and I got it really cheap, but it was nice. No, it had the slate top, and it was heavy. It was, a, it was my mom's aunt. Thank you. Thank you, aunt. Thank you, mom, uh, for having an aunt. Uh, so, yeah, so we got this pool table. It was heavy. We had, like, four guys bring it downstairs, and we set it up. And it was great in the basement. There was mo- almost enough room. It's like, except there's that one place in the basement where there's like a support beam, you know, and you're, and so there's a couple shots where it didn't, didn't really work out. You'd have to screw, unscrew the, what do you call that? The cue. Anyway, that's, that's not part of the analogy, okay? So imagine, so you're playing pool, and one of the things that you learn when you play pool is when you hit the cue ball, and it slams into one of the pool balls, that pool ball is going to respond, right? And hopefully, it's going to land over in the corner pocket, right? That, that's the idea. Now, imagine that the, the cue ball is a resurrection encounter with Jesus, is a, an encounter with the grace of Jesus, right? And as the grace of Jesus hits us, right, we are motivated, we are launched into action. Right? It is, it is, it is the, the power of the grace of God working in us that launches us into action. Right? But a pool ball is a little bit different than a, than a person because a, a cue, cue ball does not have free will. Right? A, cue, a pool ball can't stand there and go, no, I really like it here. I like this part of the pool table. I, I see where you want to send me. I, the, I don't know what's down that hole. Like, that's pretty scary. I'm just, I'm just staying right here, right? But as human beings, we have a free will that can, can respond to Jesus in two ways. We can say, Lord, have your way. Or we can say, no, I'm happy here. And it is dangerous to refuse that reaction, to, to be launched into whatever it is that God has for you. And so the encounter with God demands a response. And the grace of God will launch us into action. So we're going to look at Paul's encounter with the grace of God, and we're going to be continuing through 1 Corinthians 15. We uh, spent last week talking about the first few verses of that, talking about the importance of holding firm to the gospel, right? holding firm to the gospel. And now we're just going to continue on from verse from. Uh, from verse 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, So he said, By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Um, uh, Verse 3, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. 
After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So he's, he's explaining exactly what the gospel is. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared to a bunch of people. You, we can prove the resurrection is true, right? Because you can go and talk to these 500 or more people that, that Jesus uh, appeared to. Now, guys, the truth is that um, those people are now dead. We cannot any longer go and talk to them. But they, when Paul was writing this, they could go and talk to these 500 people and go, man, did you really see Jesus? Yeah, this was the tomb. It's empty now. You know? And so it's, it's uh, this, this, this proof, is this apologetic of the, the resurrection. So Jesus appears to all these people. And then in verse 7, Paul says, then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. He appeared to Paul as one abnormally born. And the kind of the normal understanding of this is that, that Paul is saying that all the, the apostles, he, you know, he is, Paul is saying, I'm the least of the apostles because I'm abnormally born. All the rest of them, they walked with Jesus for three years, right? They knew his teaching. Yeah, maybe they fumbled a little bit there at the, at the, at the, at the cross, but they, they pulled back together, right? And they've been following Jesus for three years. But Paul, was abnormally born. He encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and got, had this radical encounter. And as I was kind of studying this passage, I was looking at that word that's translated abnormally born. And this is a freebie. This is just an encouragement to dive into the, the word of God. But the word that we translate as abnormal, in the Greek, it actually meant miscarriage or abortion. Isn't that, and I'm just like, what is that supposed to mean? What is Paul trying to communicate with this? That he is a miscarriage. Like, what is he talking about? And, and as I was reading some of these commentaries, some of the ideas are that could Paul have been saying that he was so far from being born again? He was so far from knowing Jesus. He was so far from holding firmly to the faith that what's the opposite of that? He was an abortion. He was a miscarriage. He was completely dead. But even in that place, Jesus comes with his grace and restores him and calls him to a purpose, calls him to mission. So I don't know. That's just a thought. That's a freebie. You can ponder that. Um, Anyway, so last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. And he says, For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not, not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Right, here we see he calls himself the least of the apostles. He's persecuted the church. He hasn't walked with Jesus. He is a mess. But the grace of God impacts him. The grace of God meets him. And it was effective in his life. And how was the grace of God effective in his life? The, this chapter says, I worked harder than all of them. I worked harder than all of them. This encounter with Jesus wasn't this just this revelation that Paul's like, oh, wait, Jesus is real? Oh, okay, well, I'm sorry. I'm just going to quit persecuting the church. Then he goes home and watches Netflix until Jesus comes back. All right? 
That is not what Paul did, right? But that's what some of us do. I've been there. I've been that guy, right? Paul was launched into ministry. He says, uh, by, the grace of God, uh, by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace to me was not without effect. I worked harder than all of them. And there's an incredible synergism here between God's role and Paul's role. Right? It, it, we see that, uh, that I worked, Paul says. I worked because of the grace of God, Paul worked. He held fast to the gospel of Christ. It launched him. It motivated him into action. But it wasn't just Paul. Right? It was the grace of God in him that launched him. Right? And so there's a synergism. There's two parts of this. We have to do our part. It's mostly God. All right? Good news. It's mostly God. He is the one who is effective. He is the one who makes things happen. He's the one who transforms hearts and minds. We can't do this. All we can do is say, yes, Lord, and step into him by following him and doing what he has called us to do. All right, so we're going to take a little bit closer look at Paul's encounter with Jesus on the, the Damascus Road. So you can turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. This is Paul's conversion story. Um, before Paul met Jesus, he, his name was Saul, got changed a little bit later. Uh, so this is Paul's conversion story uh, that he was referring to here in 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who, would be, who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. You will be told what you must do. And this little word here that is translated do, elsewhere in the New Testament, is translated to make, to do, to effect, to, to bring about, to accomplish, or to perform. It is always an active Thing, right? It's always doing something. It's always accomplishing something. Right? He was not called to just, be, you know, just to believe and wait for Jesus to come back. He said, I've got something for you to do, Paul. God had a task for him. And so this conversion was an entrance into a life of discipleship. Right? Like I said, he didn't go back to normal. He didn't go back to just hanging out in the temple or tent making or whatever it was that he was going to do to make a living. He didn't just go back to that and twiddle his thumbs. No, he went into action because God had called him to do something. And he has an amazing calling. We see this in verse 15. Uh, the Lord's talking to Ananias and he says, uh, he's telling Ananias to tell Paul, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Right? So Paul has this amazing calling, this amazing purpose. Right? And it's not going to be all easy and fun. Paul is going to have to suffer. He's going to have to persevere. He's going to have to endure as he follows Jesus Christ. And we might say that, well, yeah, Paul was called to do something. Paul was important. Right? He was a 
special guy. He had something incredible to do. Right? And in a sense, I absolutely agree. Paul was special. He was an apostle. We don't have the same calling that Paul had, but we are special too. Right? Each and every one of us, we have a different role. We have a different task in God's story. But just like Paul, we have been called to fulfill God's purposes in the earth. You were called. You have been empowered. You have been chosen to fulfill God's purposes in the earth. That's good news. So don't believe the lie that you don't have a part to play. Don't believe the lie that you're not good enough, that you aren't smart enough, that you don't really have anything to offer. Right? Don't just go, I'm just going to let the superheroes of the faith, the, the Billy Grahams and the Reinhardt Bonkies and all these impressive pastors and leaders and worship leaders, and the, I'm going to let them extend the gospel. Right? There are no bystanders in the kingdom. And so God says some incredible truths about you. He says in John 3.16, that he loves you. If you are here, if you are alive, if you are breathing, God loves you. If you are a part of the human race, God loves you. God has chosen you. You can see that in John 15, 16 and 1 Peter 2, 9. Chosen generation. God has a purpose for you. You were created to have influence. You were created to do good works. And you have been empowered to fulfill all that God has called you to do. right? Because it's God's power, His, His empowerment inside of you. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave dwells inside of you. That is the power. That is what we're using to affect God's purposes. We can say, well, I'm not very smart, I'm not very sharp, I'm not this or I'm not that. But it is God who moves, and we just say, okay, Lord, where do you want me to go? I'm ready. Because you might feel unqualified, you might feel like you've been disqualified, right? But the truth is, the Word of God trumps what you feel. We need to submit our feelings and our attitudes, our beliefs, to the truth that's revealed in the Word of God. What does God say about you? He loves you. He's chosen you. He's called you. He has empowered you. He created you to have influence. He created good works for you to step into. So we need to align our thoughts with those truths. He's invited you. God has invited you into his story to bring his light into your sphere of influence. Right? All of us have a sphere of influence, and I'm convinced that our sphere of influence is much bigger than we, ex we think it really is. We see ourselves as not much. We're just stuck over here in, in Vandalia or Cass County or whatever. Right? But God loves to use the, the little things to radically transform the world. Right? Jesus was born in Bethlehem. My dad calls it the, the armpit of the, the, the Roman... Uh, Empire, the armpit of the Roman Empire. Wow, that sounds very nice. Jeez, Dad, settle down, right? Uh, but like he was born in the middle of nowhere. He was nothing. He was just a just a carpenter's son, right? But he he's also the son of God. But he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, right? And he changed the world. Paul was just a guy 
in, in Israel, which is really just a little baby, tiny little kingdom in, you know, in the Middle East that a bunch of bigger powers fought over. And Paul, empowered by the Holy Spirit, radically transforms the world. What could you do through the power of the Holy Spirit? If we believe this reality that God loves you, that He has chosen you, He has a purpose for you, that you were created to have influence, you were created to do good work, and you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill all that He's called you to do. And so Paul's response to the gospel, this encounter to God, was that he fully embraced and stepped into God's story. Back in Corinthians 15, 10, he says, right, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. It had an effect, right? I worked harder than all of them. Not, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. He answered the call. He worked hard and he changed the world. And just four chapters before this, in chapter 11, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? We can't just look at Paul and go, he was different, he was special, because Paul invited the Corinthians, and because of the eternal word of God, he invites us to follow him. We're supposed to do the same things that, he, that Paul did. It doesn't mean that we are going to be the apostle to the Gentiles, unlikely. Paul kind of got that wrapped up, right? But we have been called. We are sent ones. We're apostles to somebody. We are, apostle just means sent one. Right? We are sent to somebody. We are sent to be ministers of reconciliation in this world. And I tell you what, this world needs the light of the gospel. It's yucky out there. But the gospel promises an eternal hope. Regardless of what we see, regardless of the, the junk we see all around us, whether that's here in, in Vandalia or Kalamazoo or Michigan or the United States or the Middle East or anywhere in the world, we know that because of Jesus, because of his resurrection, we are going to someplace better. That this is not how things are supposed to be. And Jesus has fixed it. Right? We are going to a place. We, God is, all of history is moving towards the consummation when Jesus comes back, when he restores, uh, brings about the new heavens and the new earth, and he restores all of the cosmos back to what is supposed to be. Living face-to-face -face relationship in the presence of God. There will be no more fear. There will be no more doubt. There will be no more injustice. There will be no more fear. There will be no more shame. Right? And so it's that eternal hope that causes us to endure whatever the enemy throws at us here. Right? And we are holding on to the hope of the, the kingdom and its fulfillment to persevere and to hold on, to endure the suffering of this world so that we can get to this, this, uh, this consummation hope, this eternal hope, and we can bring as many people with us as possible. Uh, that wasn't in my notes. So our response to the gospel is that we can enter in to God's story. Don't worry about what you have done, where you've been. God has made you new, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any was in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. Don't let your past determine what you're going to do now. God has created you brand new, and he has given you something to do. And so, how are you going to bring the light of God's kingdom into the world? How are you going to walk out this act of faith 
following Jesus, laying your life down, picking up your cross. And being a faithful Christian, this isn't supposed to be heavy, this is exciting, this is good news, friends, don't worry. Being a faithful Christian, it means being a great husband. Right? Paul, in many of his epistles, talks about these amazing realities of who Jesus is, and the implications of the gospel often come down to, so be a great husband. Right? So love your wife well. You know, love your husband. Be a great parent. Be a, a great kid. Right? Be a, the best boss you can be. Be the best employee you can be. Bring the, the kingdom of God, the influence of the kingdom, the attributes of the kingdom into every sphere of influence that you are in. And that is going to change the world. Right? The kingdom of God, it's a place of, of freedom and justice. It's a place of peace and joy. So as we go about life, we can look for places where there's oppression. Let's look for places where there is injustice, where there is pain, and go, how can I bring the kingdom realities of justice and peace and joy and freedom into this area of darkness? You know, we, did, we had a great opportunity uh, yesterday when we brought these bags of groceries, right? What a simple thing to do. Yeah, it took some logistics, and we pulled together. It took a little bit of time. But we invaded Vandalia with the love of Jesus. Right? We, we, we expressed our love. We, our, faith, um, was, uh, yeah, our faith was expressed through love. This love, you know, tangibly a bag of groceries, but it said, hey, we care about you. We care about this community. And through that action, through praying for people, through talking to people, through just having conversation, we brought the light, the truth of the gospel in a little way into those lives. And we're going to continue doing it. We're going to continue bringing the truth of the gospel into this county until everybody here is lifting up the name of Jesus. Every person here is exalting Jesus and knows that they are sure that they get to spend eternity with the Father. And so our encounter with God, our conversion experience, it was not the end of something, but the beginning of a life of discipleship. A life of clinging to Jesus and fulfilling the work that he has called us to do. And I believe with all of my heart that it's in this act of faith where we get to step into the abundant joy, the abundant life, the, the fullness of life that Jesus has for us. I've met a, a number of people who told me, I tried Christianity, it didn't work for me. Like, I don't want this to come off poorly, but I think you were doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah? I, the gospel works, right? But not this passive faith that is a sketchy faith at best, right? But when we press into God, when we follow Him, when we lay down our lives, when we submit to Him as our Lord and Savior, the resurrection power, the resurrection life fills us and brings freedom and joy and the attributes uh, of the kingdom in our life so that we can pour those things out into other people. All right? So this week, as we move towards Easter, let's look for opportunities to put our faith into action, just like we did yesterday with the groceries. You know, where can you bring love? Where can you bring peace? Where can you stand up for justice in a world that is full of injustice? Where can you show love and mercy? And let's see, as we do that, as we look for opportunities every day in our sphere of influence, how God is going to meet us, and fill us, and empower us to do what he has called us to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
Father God, we love you. Jesus, we're so grateful that by your grace we are saved. Lord, that it is only through your grace that allows us to be reconciled, to be made right with God the Father, to step into the kingdom for eternity. Lord, we thank you that you are good and that you love us, that you have chosen us. Lord, and I just thank you that you have not just called us to wait on the sidelines, God, but you have an awesome purpose for us. You have something that each one of us can fulfill and that this community of believers can fulfill for your kingdom. And Lord, we want to step into that. We are excited about stepping into that. Lord, and help us to do that. Fill us with your Holy Spirit power. We love you, Jesus. Amen.